Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zarrell. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sCriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers, wherever you listen to us, subscribe and rate and review the show. Give us a five-star review and let us know you did it and we'll read the review on the air. Uh, Apple Podcasts is the easiest one. Uh, it does help with the algorithm, so I, I really do appreciate if you could do that. If you do leave us a review, we will send you a Blu-ray. Uh, tell me a little bit about that, Sean. Yeah, we've got a series of them from uh, from WellGo USA, uh, the the company, and they've got a number of uh, mostly Asian titles, but they're they're interesting movies, and all of them are certainly uh, mer- movies worth owning. Uh, that's why we've I've kind of avoided reviewing them because I don't want to uh, bias against them. I don't wanna, <laughs> you know what if I don't like them? I don't know. Uh, so I just don't. I haven't reviewed any of them, but uh, I, I just want to give people the chance to see them, and uh, you know you can get them for free uh, just by giving us a five star review. And if you go to our social media pages pinned to the top, you will see more details on. I was told by giveaway. somebody that 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 they had done a review. Did you see anything come across this week? I or? did not. I just checked Apple Podcasts beforehand. The last one we have was the last one we read. Uh, okay. Do you know where they left it at? I only checked Apple. Not a clue. I, I didn't check anything. Yeah, that else. was the only one. So. All right. Not a clue. <laughs> but I will keep my eyes out, uh, and hopefully by next week we'll find it. Uh, what else we got? We're on YouTube live. Whenever we record, I will post a link on our Facebook and Twitter pages. Uh, if you want to subscribe to YouTube, click on the bell in the right hand corner. Be notified when we go live or when a new episode drops. Then patreon.com slash critics pods. The best would help support the podcast. We are going to do bonus episodes one of these days. Uh, and then T Public. If you go to IHateCritics.net, there's a little T Public link up in the right hand corner, or you can go to T Public and search Critics Pod or Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast to get some of our merch. All right, let's bring up the pictures for the YouTube people at home. And we will start, even though the classic is inspired by this movie, we're going to start with Cry Macho. Cry Macho stars uh, Clint Eastwood as Mike Milo, a former rodeo star turned uh, hired hand horseman uh, working for Dwight Yoakam. He's uh, several years beyond that uh, when we meet him, and he's in his early 90s. And uh, he, But he still owes Dwight Yoakam a lot. Dwight Yoakam gave him a job after he'd been injured in the rodeo, and he helped pick him up after his wife and son were killed. So even though they're kind of have a harsh relationship as we see during the big exposition dump first scene, uh, which is just basically dialogue of two people talking to each other who already know each other, but constantly introducing each other for some reason, you know how long we've known each other, Bob, (laughs) (laughs) that scene starts the movie. Um, He, he agrees to do a, a job for this guy to go down to Mexico and pick up his teenage son and bring him back to Texas. Uh, this, of course, comes uh, at odds with man's former wife who lives in Mexico, is a strangely written character. She, at first, when, when Mike arrives, she's throwing this big, lavish party at her big, lavish mansion, and she tries to seduce him, I guess, and then tells him, ah, the kid can do what he wants, I don't care, take him. Then he talks to her again, and after having rejected her sexually again, the woman's like, no, he's my son, and he has to stay here now. <laughs> because apparently this is how Clint Eastwood writes women. Uh, <laughs> terrible. Just awful. I, he didn't write the movie. I'm sorry, but uh, he directs, he directed this. He chose this as scenes he wanted in this order. So there you go. <laughs> uh, he, he nevertheless, he, he, by, you know, whatever uh, powers that he has locates the kid at a cockfight where the kid has his, has his uh, fighting uh, chicken, a cock named macho, uh, fighting and uh, the, the cop kid he kidnaps the kid and is going to take him back to Texas. Naturally, of course, this has to have a number of different things slow them down. So he, they stop by the side of the road. His truck gets stolen. They steal another car. They have to avoid the the federales. So they go off on the side road. They end up in a small town. When this car breaks down, 
and he meets another woman who also falls for him. But this one is actually well written, which I'm shocked by. I'm shocked to say this, but this this sequence is actually one of the best things that Clint Eastwood has made since maybe Mystic River. Like this is this part of the movie where he and this kid are fighting themselves in this small Mexican town and actually fighting a place in this town. They stumble across a, a guy who's you know breaking horses and needs a little help. So he hires the two on Eastwood becomes kind of a, uh, a veterinarian of sorts for the, for the town. He's treating their animals because he's got a lot of, he's got 90 years of experience with animals. Uh, so he, he ingratiates himself and this woman takes, takes him and the kid in and gives him a place to stay. And she genuinely begins to have feelings for him, even though they don't speak the same language. He doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> she does, but there's still, like I said, she is so good at create, at creating the emotional connection with him. And he's so willing and vulnerable in this moment that it, that it actually kind of works. And for a time, this movie isn't a dull, boring slog. And I, I kind of liked that. Uh, I actually kind of like this movie. It's actually the best thing he's done since Mystic River. And, oh, it can't uh, be better than American Sniper. <laughs> I, I mean, okay, American Sniper, fine. But I'm talking about things that he's actually in. How about that? Oh, for, there you go. Is he in uh, Mystic River? Than, oh, yeah, good point. Yeah, maybe not. No, I know so you mean the billion uh, dollar baby. No, uh, <laughs> the one the get off my lawn movie. Gran Torino. That's, I didn't really like Gran Torino either. That's better than this. <laughs> I mean, I, I think this one section is better than all of those movies. I'm talking about this one section. The, re- the whole movie as a whole, I don't recommend. But this section of the movie is very good. Fair enough. In my opinion, you, you disagree. I was. <laughs> I, I. I mean, I. It's sleepy, would, isn't it? It's yeah. very sleepy. And I was I was kind of checked out by the time we got to that section, and it wasn't good enough to pull me out of it. Yeah. Uh, never mind the fact that I didn't. I mean, I didn't really buy into it, even as good as she was. I still, I don't know. I, I saw The Outlaw Josie Wells before this, and my brother was telling me stories about that movie behind the scenes, what was going on. And it, maybe it's all bullshit. I don't know. But the way he treated the lead actress, uh, dated her then blacklisted her from hollywood <laughs> she died was not part of the oscar tribute and I, and it could just be coincidence wow. but uh, a lot of weird uh made her get two abortions uh oh lovely <laughs> whether all That's that great. it could just be my brother making wow. it up too i know none of that i didn't look any of it up but he i saw he told me all that i watched that movie and then i watched this and then so it's yeah. just like a 90 year old man having these two women try to <laughs> i just i was out of it i was just not buying it and uh, i'm not i wasn't even positive that he was supposed to be playing 90 uh so i wasn't sure either i don't i don't know if he was did you know the movie is set in 1980 no yeah see there's no real indicator of that other than the, the lack of technology there's no real indicator that that's actually that what's going on but yeah apparently that's the intention was that this movie was set in 1980. Yeah, and it's such a bad title. I mean, Macho Cock would have been a better title than Cry Macho. <laughs> uh, I don't know if you can put that in theaters. Because uh, that's where it all came from. I don't know. I just I was bored of tears. And on top of that, other behind-the-scenes things that may, may or may not be fair to this movie that I brought to right. it. Uh, <laughs> But I just, it wasn't for me. I mean, and I, on top of that, I was going in figuring it was going to be bad. So there was that too. So I wasn't fair to it. So I'll give it that much. But it bored me to death. Like I said, I like that section of it. The rest of it, I don't recommend. Fair enough. Let's move on to collection. Collection stars Alex Pettifer as Brandon, a uh, man who runs a collection agency that uh, tries to collect by any means necessary. Uh, he has a partner played by Mike Vogel uh, Ross, who's kind of his uh, right hand man and his kind of muscle when that sort of thing is needed in this job. Uh, and then he comes across this kid named Sean, who he sees at a uh, at a country club arguing with his dad, and he sees he's kind of a of a collection so he kind of in and offers him a job and you know, brings him in on this big deal that he's got going on because they've just landed this big contract that could let net the millions if they can just collect you know a good portion of it um the 
other story going on here is a love story where he's uh, dealing with uh, a loss in his life and he's dealing with that in a very kind of unusual way where he's going to this strip club and he sees this woman, Christina, uh, played by Shakira Barrera. And he's just drawn to her for whatever reason. And she happens to have a young son and his son has died recently. And they have this moment where they're, where they're in the strip club, they're doing a private dance. And instead of him just kind of, instead of it being, being sexual or being that way, he just starts crying and she just holds him. And it's, I know it's kind of lascivious, but it's also kind of, kind of charming just how vulnerable that moment really I really, that moment, it was just, it was a really kind of a oddly sweet moment. And they begin a romance from there, but she's got another secret going on in that she was the wife of a big time drug dealer who owes a lot of people, a lot of money. In fact, she owes, he owes a lot of money to collection agents, oddly enough. And that will come around in this. Um, this was directed by a woman named uh, Mariana Palka, who is uh, best known for her playing a role on Glow, but she's also uh, a director who had a big hit at Sundance back in 2010 and has done things here and there, but this is kind of the biggest thing she's done since then. And uh, I, I kind of enjoyed this. I kind of enjoyed Alex Pettifer. I kind of liked how every character in the movie has something big going on. Like you've got the kid, Sean, who's dealing with a drug addiction and his separation from his parents, but also being really good at being a collection agent. Uh, you've got Ross, who's dealing with cancer, but also dealing with the fact that his friend, Brendan, is is kind of drifting away and is kind of becoming disillusioned with their business, which, you know, is kind of his whole, the center of his whole being. Um, and so there's, everybody's got a lot to play in this. I really enjoyed how, how Mariana Polka gives everybody a, a big thing to play. And, uh, and thus I, I really, there are some things in here that are, you know, are a little bit too convenient, but other, otherwise I, I, I did like this movie a lot. Yeah. I mean, it sounds, I mean, it's weird. I, I didn't watch it, but you know, describing it, I could see how describing it would make people be like, really? <laughs> <laughs> and then you look at the poster, but I believe you. I mean, it sounds like something that would be fairly interesting. I like her in Glow. I don't know if I've seen the movie from 2010 or not. A uh, good dick is what it's called. It's a good title. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as good as Macho Cock. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I sounds like something I would turn on. Uh, it does sound convenient that the drug dealer would owe collection agency <laughs> money. Uh, but yeah. I could see, you know, if you made it right, give everybody something to do and know what movie you're making, that's that's kind of I impressive think- to make a movie like that work. I think what's what comes out of this is that you know, being an actress, she's very generous with her actors and giving the giving her actors a lot to do, and and so they have a lot of things to play. Like you know, Brendan's got the loss of his wife and son. He's got becoming kind of disillusioned with the idea of being in collections and the job that he does, uh, and this new romance. And then you've got her playing the emotions of she doesn't want to be a stripper. She's a stripper because the drug dealers who are supposed to be giving her money aren't, and she owes money. Uh, her husband owes money everywhere. And so she's got that. She's got a son. Uh, she's got her husband in jail. Uh, all that's happening for her. And then you've got uh, you know, even the Ross character, Mike Vogel's character, who would seem to be the most uh, limited, you know, being this kind of uh, the muscle, the tough guy behind all the collections. He has cancer and is possibly dying, and he doesn't really know how to deal with that. And he's losing his friend uh, more and more every day. And and that's you know, his one connection to the world. That's a really like they said. These actors are given a lot to play, and that really made it uh, a lot more interesting than than a movie like this might look on the surface. And again, surface level, the, a movie about a collection agency kind of sounds dumb. But if you think about it, there's probably a lot of interesting ways you could go with something like that. Uh, so that's pretty cool. I'm glad to hear. Yeah, I mean, think about the type of person who is drawn to that type of thing. The type of person who can take on that kind of abuse on a regular basis and and bounce back and and also end up actually collecting a great deal of money. Yeah, that's. I'm interested. I'm. I'd like to say I'd give it a shot. It depends on if it crosses my radar when I'm. Yeah, I wouldn't say it's like something you need to rush out and see right right away. It's not quite that good. It's good enough and and uh, better than know, it should if, be. Yeah, 
I would say it's it's a much better movie than you would think based off of especially this very generic poster that we're looking at. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what about Giddy Stratospheres? Giddy Stratospheres. This is a movie that is written by, directed by, and starring Laura Jean Marsh. And this is a movie about music and friendship and grief. Uh, Laura Jean Marsh plays a, a party girl whose job is, she says that it's club promotion, but we don't actually see her do much club promoting. What we do see her doing is a lot of drinking and a lot of drugs and uh, a lot of putting on her friend, uh, played by Jamal Franklin, who uh, is with her on this day when she's on, supposed to be on this night. The next day she's supposed to to go to her grandmother's eulogy and 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 uh, read a poem that she wrote when she was a child about her grandmother but she decides the night before to go out and get very very drunk and very very high and then she's got to get on a train and go to her, to her grandmother's funeral and the process of that obviously is not not particularly easy she manages to miss her stop she's got to convince a cab driver to give her a ride that she's not going to pay for all the time dragging uh, her friend with her throughout this and uh, <laughs> they have a wonderful dynamic. They're so sweet together and they're so funny together. And they're just the kind of people that you really would want to be friends with. On top of that, the soundtrack is incredible. It's a lot of this early aughts, uh, London underground, uh, rock pop music. That's really, it's really very good. The title comes from a song, uh, that, uh, is by a band that's, whose name is escaping me. You know, I think called the long blonde, uh, and it's a really terrific song. And if you listen to that song in a very specific way, you could actually see it as sort of a warning about her, about this character towards another character in the movie. That's kind of an interesting way to, to take a song and, and make it sort of the spine of your movie. Uh, but mostly Laura Jean Marsh is just delightful. She is just as much as you would, as much as a person like this would drive you crazy in your real life. She's so interesting and so fun that you're kind of like, well, here's this money you're never going to pay me back for. I understand. <laughs> here's, okay, fine. 3 a.m.? Yeah, okay, I'll come and pick you up. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just like, she's that kind of person. <laughs> she's just so charming that she can get by until she can't. And there's a big moment in this when she gets to the eulogy and she starts to have this breakdown where she's both, you can't tell if she's laughing or crying. And the mixture of those two emotions uh, up there just becomes so powerful for a moment. She has this really amazing realization and what she's realizing really catches you off guard. And uh, that's part of the, the excitement of this movie. This movie is also just barely over an hour long, so it doesn't overstay its welcome either. Awesome. It sounds really cool. Is it? the word frustrating comes to mind that's not what i mean but you know one of those where it's like the, they just keep making the wrong choices and it frustrates you as a viewer is that what this no. is or okay no i don't th i don't see it like that she's just <laughs> i mean usually that's a good thing when i'm like when that those movies that have that that's what it's meant to do uh i think we watched one earlier about a guy trying to save his nightclub and he just kept doing the wrong one. i can't remember the name of that movie but it was just about, rollers yeah, yeah. And it was a good movie, uh, yeah. But in that, I guess this would be similar to that. Yeah, she's just she's just so charming. <laughs> yeah, I mean it. It looks like something I'd be interested in. I I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was moved by it. Uh, I choked up a little bit a couple times, and especially that funeral scene is uh, is surprising to say the least. Yeah, I, this sounds like. I'm really curious what happens there. <laughs> uh, how many times did you choke up at bestsellers? None. None whatsoever. Was your heart uh, warmed? No, not at all. <laughs> heart warmed. Jesus Christ. Come on, Variety. Did you watch this movie? Uh, bestsellers is a dramatic comedy starring Michael Caine and Aubrey Plaza. And this movie is frustrating. Because Aubrey Plaza is one of the best there is. Like she's one of the most unconventional, unique voices in movies today. And this is a movie that's trying to put her into that box and make her like every other good-looking, attractive actress. 
And that's just not who she is. She can't be contained that way. She plays the uh, heir to a uh, publishing fortune, and she's now the head of this publishing house, and she's struggling. We hear, we find out early on that the most recent book that she put out, uh, some YA nonsense about dragons, has failed. And in the worst exposition dump imaginable, the the review that she's reading of this new book goes into reviewing her as a person, as a publisher, which never happens in a book review. This would never happen. People would not just cite the publisher being having bad taste in, in a book review. I just don't, that's not real. Right. So it just comes off as just forced, silly exposition. Uh, she desperately needs a hit and she, well, she's looking for something to publish. She comes across a contract that she has with this legendary old writer, Harris, played by Michael Caine, who owes her company a book. So she travels to his home. He pulls a gun on her. He does all the, you know, cliched things that fancy artists and authors and movies like this do. He's very drunk. He doesn't want to do anything, but he happens to have just finished a book. What a convenience. <laughs> what a plot convenience that is. So he's just finished his book and uh, she's got a contract so she can force him to go out on a book tour, but he doesn't want to do that. So when he goes out for the big book presentation for the first time, instead of reading from the book, he reads a penthouse letter. And then he punches the, uh, the he assaults the New York Times book critic played by unnecessarily by Carrie Elwes. Uh, in a role that, I mean, it's barely there. Why he's in this, I don't know. Um, <laughs> so when they actually do go to the book tour, uh, real places won't have him. So he has to tour these underground college dive bars where instead of the book, he opens the book up to a page and just goes, bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. And the crowd cheers. And then he just, at the first stop, he takes his book, tosses it on the floor and pisses on it. And of course, this is captured by a bunch of uh, phone cameras. So it goes viral and bullshit goes viral and he becomes a viral sensation, but he's not selling any books. And so she naturally, they're, they're opposites. You know, she's the prim and proper and businesslike and business, business, business. And he's like, give me another bottle of Johnny Walker. <laughs> so boring. It's so boring. And these, I mean, this should not be boring. Aubrey Plaza is in a movie that's boring. That's impossible. It's not unwatchable. It's it's professional enough. And it it has, you know, enough in it of her. She's incapable of being in something that's completely terrible. Michael Caine is just given up. I mean, he's just not even trying. Anymore. I mean, after that awful Oliver Twist adaptation he did, He's got now he's doing this where he's just he's basically playing a diet Peter uh, Peter O'Toole. <laughs> Peter O'Toole is pissing on him from heaven. He is. <laughs> I mean, it, it sounds like you'd have to rework it, but if she played the role of the author do, doing the Michael Caine role, she could probably pull it off. Probably. <laughs> That's a movie I want to see. I mean, you gotta, there's a lot of probably reworking, but yeah. The what now that you say that that would be, yeah, it's a bummer when people. I, I don't, I don't know why she'd even pick this movie. I mean, maybe to work with Michael Caine, he is kind of a legend. Maybe, yeah. Speaking of legends, Gerard <laughs> Butler and Cop Shop. Are you ready to be shocked? You like it? <laughs> This is the this is the first time in my entire career I looked through this. Other than animated movies, this is the first time I've written a positive review of of a Gerard Butler movie. <laughs> this is since 1997 that he's been in movies. The first live action Gerard Butler movie I've ever positively reviewed is this movie. Uh, Cop Shop, uh, which stars Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo as opposite sides of a hitman and man being hunted by a hitman. Uh, they end up in the same jail under the guard of uh, uh, was it Alexa, Alexa Young, I think was her name. She's a terrific. She's amazing. It's Alexis Young. She's a terrific actress and she's really the star of this movie. But the real, real crux of this comes down to the fact that it's directed by Joe Carnahan, who directed Smoke and Aces and Narc. And this is kind of his vibe. This is what he does. This kind of stylized, violent, 
hyperkinetic storytelling with uh, a lot of bullets and a lot of a lot of really tough guy gritty dialogue. And I enjoy that. I really did. Joe Carnahan's kind of a sweet spot for me. Um, and uh, not just because after I reviewed NARC, he sent me an email and thanked me for my review. It's not just because of that. I just really like his stuff. No, I'm I like yeah, I agree. I, I had fun with this movie. I had fun. Even uh, Gerard Butler is not a major part of this. He doesn't have a lot of time to ruin. <laughs> he's good enough. He's he's serviceable in his role. He does his job, and he has a great couple moments at the end of this movie that I I really did like. That are really kind of important to how this movie plays out. Uh, Frank Grillo is a, is a guy who's on the run. He's uh, looking to get himself arrested. He punches Alexis Young in the face to get himself arrested. She tases it. There's a lot of really darkly humorous stuff in this. Then uh, Toby Huss comes in and plays this wild over-the-top killer who's shooting up the entire place. <laughs> and that's a, a weird, funny uh, subplot. I, I I really enjoyed this. This movie's got a lot of got a lot of fun to it, and a lot of really big, dumb, big dumb violence to it that I kind of enjoyed. That's pretty cool, though. That Gerard Butler is allowed to sacrifice his ego a little bit. I mean, he's still the top billing. Yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, I had no idea it was that director. I love those two movies. Yes, uh, I no, not- I'm a big fan. I did not know. I, I mean, I knew this existed, but I didn't watch it. I, I mean, I'll say I like 300. I know most people did. You might not have. But at the same time, it kind of became a parody of itself, and it also introduced us to Gerard Butler. <laughs> so there, it, <laughs> it does have that against it. But th- this seems cool, and I'll definitely check this one out because it seems right up I- my alley. I recommend it. This has got a. This is a lot of fun. There's a lot of complications in the plot. Uh, lots of really great, well choreographed shootouts. Uh, just it's it's kind of smart in that way. And Alexis Young really steals every scene. And you got to give credit to both Gerard Butler and Frank Grillo for being so generous uh, with her. And and certainly they they seem to really like working with her. And and they give her a lot to work with. That's what this director does well, though. Too is kind of bringing an ensemble together in a way right yeah yeah like you did with smoking aces right. for sure yeah was it available stream all these are streaming right none of them are this available. one is actually in theaters really? i believe but yeah good good for them uh all right let's move on to our classic the outlaw josie wales the outlaw josie wales an army of one not <laughs> sorry, <laughs> he's kind of an only one, but not really. Uh, Josie Wales is a man who uh, was a farmer in Missouri when the Civil War was coming to an end. Union soldiers came through his his uh, land and they m- burned down his house and they murdered his wife and child and left him to die. He's uh, un- recovered by uh, a, a group of uh, resistance fighters led by a man named Fletcher who uh, pick him up and bring him along so they can go try and fight, continue the fight of the civil war, even though it's basically over. Uh, once this doesn't last very long, uh, Fletcher ends up uh, pretty much surrendering relatively quickly and, and getting this entire group to surrender, except for Josie Wales, who's determined to get some measure of revenge for what he's been through. Um, then once that surrender takes place, the Senator in charge and the guy in charge, red legs has all of, the resistance guys murdered, uh, just executes them then and there. So Josie Wales comes down from the mountains and grabs himself a chain gun and starts killing soldiers as fast as he can. Uh, he still manages to get away from that, along with one of the other resistance fighters who was hurt. But that guy, played by Sam Bottoms, doesn't last very long. But he does take part in a very interesting scene where he ends up saving Josie Wales' life, which was a pretty good scene. Uh, from there, he, he continues to move on and picks up kind of stragglers along the way. He picks up this uh, former Indian chief who had once met a former president and continuously talks a lot about everything, about being being an Indian and being and having been a chief in his life and whatnot, and uh, kind of fills the air while Josie just sort of... <laughs> just sort of tolerates him. He picks up a, an Indian woman after he saves her from a pair of rapists at a trading post. And she dedicates uh, herself to, to serving him. Uh, then he picks up a, a, a family from Kansas, a grandmother and a granddaughter who are headed down to Texas to take over her son's ranch. He's died in the civil war 
she's going to take it over. They were nearly killed by Comancheros, who were going to sell them to the Comanche Indians. And this leads to another of the of a, of a really good scene where uh, the the Comanche are planning an assault on on the farmhouse and. To, to head that off, Josie Wales goes off by himself to meet with Ten Bears, uh, the, in the the Comanche chief. And this is a great scene where just two men were just looking each other over. Who He knows who, who Josie Wales is. He knows the situation that Josie Wales is in, how he got there. And, and he has an initial respect for him. But when he comes to him as a man and talks to him like a man and tells him, you know, he would like peace and that they've both been through so much that perhaps that they're the kind of guys who could live in peace with each other. That's a really great scene and it plays really well. And I really liked that. Uh, then of course we still have this uh, group of union army soldiers who are trying to hunt him down. And that is the final confrontation in the movie. And one of the great things about this movie is that, is that it, it continuously it shows and doesn't tell like it'll tell you something, but then it shows you. So what we find re- repeatedly with Josie Wales is that people will tell you the legend and then he shows up and lives up to the legend. Like when he fights back against the Union soldiers, you know, Fletcher has already said that this guy's not going to give up. Indeed, he doesn't. Uh, later on, he demonstrates this competency when he's talking to the, the guys in the farmhouse and telling them, hey, you need to do this, this and this to dem- you know, demonstrate to protect themselves. And that pays off because, again, he's a competent guy. He knows what he's talking about. Uh, the same thing goes with the Ten Bear scene. It's like he has a legend, but then he lives up to that legend. It shows instead of just simply telling you how great he is, he actually shows himself to be a very competent and and interesting character. And that's uh, that's far too rare sometimes in, in, in modern movies where, where we're often told about why a character is great and then we're not shown. You know, John Wick is great for that, about telling you how amazing John Wick is and then showing you how great John Wick is. Yeah, I enjoyed it, but like if I compare it to other Westerns, it's kind of like middle of the road for me. There's great scenes, you're right, but it's just too goofy. There's a lot of, like every time he spits his tobacco, it's just it's yeah. played for Why last. Why did he keep spitting on that dog? I don't know. It, it just wasn't funny, or it wasn't, it was supposed to be funny, and it was, it, it just, it, it pulled me out of the movie. Uh, that uh, Orco character, as I called him, the the Native American that talked all the time here, I can't remember his name. Yeah. Uh, he was for comic relief, and it, again, it wasn't, nothing was, nothing was wrong with it. It just kept it, like my brother had told me that Clint Eastwood was upset this never got Oscar attention. And insisted that if it came out around the time Unforgiven came out, it would have gotten Oscar attention. And I call bullshit on it because it's too goofy. <laughs> uh, well, Roger Ebert did write at the time that he thought the Indian guy actually deserved uh, an Oscar, or the Native American, I'm sorry. Native American guy deserved uh, an Oscar nomination. Uh, maybe the time. 1975 was a different time, I guess. But I, I yeah. just thought it was too goofy. I mean, I'll take. Unforgiven, obviously, uh, High Plains Drifter, Pale Rider, Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Fistful of Dollars, A Few Dollars More, uh, over, over this one. Uh, I agree. And, but, I mean, it plays well. It's an entertaining movie. It's not quite Tombstone in terms of, like, pulp the Western, but it's, uh, it's, it's, just, it's not Unforgiven, and that's kind of what I was hoping for. Not that that's fair, mm-hmm. uh, but I was just kind of waiting. And then, you know, you throw in the Clint Eastwood stuff. Oh, it has to be the Union Army. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be the Confederates. <laughs> uh, but there's a good scene. But at the same time, it's such a – it's a good scene. But the dialogues – it does kind of pull me out when he starts talking about the government. and Because uh, you're bringing kind of modern Clint Eastwood to that. Well, no, it's it's kind of like the crash thing where it's conversations people don't have or the way they're having oh, it yeah. is too too much exposition. I don't know. Uh, like I, I like what he's saying and I agree. Now you bring the Clint Eastwood stuff to it and you're like, okay, maybe I don't agree that much. But, you know, in general, I get, you know, <laughs> right. on a high level, I agree. But people don't talk that way. <laughs> way. <laughs> and so that kind of throws me off a little bit. But the what's going on in the scene, though, is very powerful and good. Uh, the one scene with the the younger 
boy, I can't remember his name. Uh, that was a great scene as well. But uh, I mean, it's a good movie. It's definitely watchable. It's on Netflix and HBO. I, I recommend it. Uh, it's just not. It's you know those five or six movies I named, or I guess seven movies I named. I like better. Uh, yeah, I mean, quite I, frankly, I think the best western is Once Upon a Time in the West, and Clint Eastwood was not even in it. So, <laughs> I uh, I think it helped that I watched Cry Macho first, and it brought down my expectations for this a great deal. Well, and that too. The other is, like, uh, right off the bat, I was like, oh, I, I I thought it looked beautiful, and then after a while, it was just like the shadows covered their face the whole time, and I was longing for that Sergio Leone the the up close stuff and then the awesome landscape shots. And instead I just had shadow covered faces, which I didn't find to be, I mean, it didn't look like it was on purpose and it didn't look like it served a purpose. Uh, my brother disagreed. He goes, well, it, it's more mysterious. And I'm like, I guess but you can't, I, I, it took, I didn't like it. So I, I just didn't think it was shot as well. as Some of the other movies. Uh, but again, it, it's a very watchable movie and it's uh, not boring by any stretch. Uh, so I, I, it's got a, it's for me, it's good. It's got a couple of really good scenes and, uh, and I, I just like the way that he, that the, how competent this character is and how yeah. you know smart they let him be in a turn in terms of a visual, as opposed to just com- repeatedly telling us they tell us and then they show us. And I appreciated that a lot. Yeah, and I need and, and if you watch it from like you mentioned John Wick, if you watch it, if you're treating this like a John Wick, it, it definitely plays better in that type of a movie, or even a Rambo, or anybody who's that better than most of the Rambos. I'll give him that. <laughs> uh, but and and I guess he always kind of had that cool vibe. To, I don't know. I, it, it's good. I recommend it. I just he's in a lot of great westerns, <laughs> so uh, it's. It's a little goofy for my taste, but good enough. Uh, did you watch anything from '91? I I did catch a little bit of Indian Runner, uh, the which is a, a Sean Penn movie with uh, Michael Morse and uh, I can't remember the other character, the other actor in it, but uh, a really interesting movie. And it was for, uh, Sean Penn's uh, first directorial effort, which I really? didn't realize uh, thirty years ago. God, that makes it interesting all of a sudden. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen the Fisher King a million, or not a million times, but a handful of times. I yeah, I've seen it several neat, times too. Neat movie. Uh, you ever seen Late for Dinner? No. Uh, Rambling Rose. Yeah, but I don't quite remember it very well. Uh, no, Laura Dern was very popular from that movie. What about the Don Johnson Melanie Griffith classic? Mer- Melanie Griffith classic <laughs> Paradise. <laughs> no. No, I missed that one somehow. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, that's all the movies this week. Uh, Next week, we don't know exactly what we're doing yet. Uh, I know, Sean, are you able to talk about what you get to do? I've not. not, Oh, yeah, I can talk about that for sure. I'm going to. It's kind of like a a real bucket list moment for me because I've always wanted to be uh the host of a uh, of a Q&A with a cast and you know get to be in that situation where I'm asking the questions of the cast and sort of carrying on with the audience and I get to do that. Uh Napoleon Dynamite is coming to our area uh in uh, Davenport, Iowa next Saturday and uh I'm going to be the moderator with uh three members of the cast and we're going to show the movie and then I'm going to oversee the uh, Q&A so I thought it's a great opportunity to revisit that movie which i was looking at my old review and i did uh, i i really do like that movie that's awesome and unfortunately i'll be out of town so i don't get to participate <laughs> in this at all i don't get to watch it or nothing so i feel bad uh but you'll sean's gonna do something special worst case i come back having seen nothing and just talk to sean about what he did <laughs> over the weekend uh but that that'll be very cool definitely uh check out next week for that alone because i'm sure you'll talk about it <laughs> yeah uh any movies and we have out? uh we have dear dear evan hansen next week which is getting horrific reviews and i'm i'm kind of excited about it in the way i was excited about cats <laughs> that's sort of 
Who's in that? I appreciate uh, Ben Platt, who is a thirty-four-year-old uh, man who will be playing a teenager. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, and get this—he—he's he, played the role on Broadway for many years. But uh, one of the reasons why he's played the role on Broadway for many years is because his dad was the writer producer. <laughs> now wow. he did get I think he did get good reviews on Broadway and there's a there's an audience that that does love this but it's been a while since they loved this probably probably since he was an age where it didn't seem all that terribly appropriate for him to be playing this role. Wow. Uh in 91 Deceived Necessary Roughness and Wedlock came out so I'm sure you'll spend a lot of time on that one as well. I have seen Necessary Roughness so many times. Me too, uh, and I, I don't, don't even, even like it. I don't even watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's not even a very good movie. It was just odd all it's the time. Always I, on. 30 years ago, we did. We had cable, but like you didn't, like even then you only had like 24 channels. And that movie was on like three of them. Uh, the Superstations, I think. <laughs> it's <laughs> it was, funny. I forgot. I got it confused with Best of Times earlier today. Uh, the <laughs> but this is the Scott Bakula, Kathy Ireland yeah. movie. <laughs> uh, not the Robin Williams, Kurt Russell movie. But the reason I got confused was I got Kevin Smith's new book, the little coffee table book about his career. And yeah. during the Mallrats scene, the Michael Rooker character, he wanted the guy who played uh, the guy, the bad guy in Ghostbusters, the Peck, whatever his name was, he wanted that to yeah. be the Michael Rooker character. Well, that guy didn't want to do it because he was sick of playing assholes. <laughs> so the producer goes, well, I think I can get Kurt Russell. <laughs> and he's like, it'd be cool to work with Kurt Russell, but he's not right for this part at all. <laughs> and then they suggested Bill Paxton. He's like, kind of the same thing. And then obviously Michael, Michael Rooker came in. But my brother is a huge Kurt Russell fan, so I took a picture of that page in the book and sent it to him. And he goes, Kurt Russell would have never done that. And I'm like, he did necessary roughness a few years earlier. And he goes, he didn't do necessary roughness. (laughs) (laughs) And then I was like, then he goes, no, it was best. And he goes, no, it was unlawful entry. And I'm like, no, the football movie that was goofy and just as stupid as necessary roughness. (laughs) But in fairness, that was mid eighties. So yeah, I still think he might've done it. He's done. <laughs> I don't think Russell knows how big of a fan base he has because he has movies like Soldier and Unlawful Entry. <laughs> he might have done Mallrats. Uh, he might have. But yeah, uh, the only reason I bought the book has been in the news lately about the the Bruce Willis shit came back up. I spent, apparently, yeah, he, he spends a lot of time on that in the cop-out <laughs> section. So I'm looking Can forward to it. Have we got that far there. yet? Yeah. I thought about jumping straight there, but... I like everything so much. It's fun to go from the beginning. But it's as much as Kevin Smith talks, it's actually pretty interesting. Uh, I feel like I'm learning things for the first time, even though some of it I knew. But amazingly, some of the stuff in it he hadn't said before. <laughs> so, Wow. Considering the stories he's told before, it seems unlikely that there are stories uh, he hasn't told yet. Yeah. All right. What if you'll talk about the giant mechanical spider again? <laughs> I haven't gotten that far, but I wouldn't be surprised. That is my favorite story. That is my favorite story. Just John Peters insisting upon a giant mechanical spider. That whole, and then what do you know? He puts it in a movie. That whole first evening with is so good. It's so it's. Oh, God, I love that. I mean, every story to this day, he still gets asked about. <laughs> I mean, the Prince story was fantastic. Even yeah. No. You know, he kind of backtrack on it after Prince had passed, but it's just interesting. Everything about it was pretty awesome. Right, but even if you love Prince, you can't help but see like sense of a good deal oh, yeah. of realism in the way that played out. Absolutely. <laughs> All right, let's play a little flick chart if you're up for it. Absolutely. Can you see the screen? I don't remember. Sh- yeah, I share. Yeah, okay. Blast from the Past and Family Man. Which one is it? <laughs> Blast from the past. Okay. Did you hear about the new Nicolas Cage movie, though? Only the the little testicle thing you sent me. <laughs> Dude, I can't remember what it's called. Ghosts of something and 
Yeah, apparently he has testicle bombs in this movie. So I'm like, when does, where is this movie and when can I see it? It is called The Prisoners of the Ghost Land. So what are testicles? Am- oh, so he, like... Literal, like, literal testicles that are bombs. Was his testicle hanging out in that? That was one of his testicle bombs, not his actual testicle. Oh. Uh, <laughs> so we don't get to see his balls in the movie? I don't know. Either way, I'm interested. I'm fascinated. I want to know where this is going. Apparently, it's, it gets even weirder than testicle bombs, so I'm all in. What's fucking weird is that when with Pig, he's doing all these interviews about how... Or is it Pig? The movie he just did. He's talking about yeah. how he's trying to be more serious and take a, not want to just take any role and be goofy. And here he is with a testicle bomb, <laughs> testicle bomb movie right after that. Maybe maybe he made this one before that. Maybe. It's entirely possible. I have seen a lot of comparisons to Mandy already, although I don't think anybody's seen it. <laughs> so they're just... <laughs> It seems fun enough. All right. Prometheus or monsters versus aliens? Monsters versus aliens. I don't hate Prometheus, but I agree with you. The artist from Russia with love. The artist. Agreed. Twins, the last king of Scotland. I know Last King of Scotland's a better movie. I know he won an Academy Award for that movie. I never want to sit through that movie ever again in my life. It is homework. I want to watch Twins. <laughs> I haven't seen Last King of Scotland. I was going to ask, is it because it's homework or because it was too brutal? But I f- <laughs> it, you answered it before homework. I finished. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, Raising Arizona. I like Rise of Skywalker, but uh, Raising Arizona. Agreed. That was the better movie. Tin Cup Traffic. Which way are you going on this? Uh, Tin Cup, but only because traffic's just slightly homework. And I like. I'm with you. Like I, I have to watch trap. When I watch traffic, I watch it with a notebook so I can write down who's in what plot. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's- and, and Tin Cup's just easier to watch. You don't have to do that. And I mean, I like the scene. At least, if nothing else, just the scene where he's trying to drive or kip over the water, and he keeps hitting it in there. That it's entertaining yeah. enough for me there. But yeah, like traffic isn't as isn't as good as some of the uh what is the word i'm looking on ensemble cast movies because there's just too many people that I, and some of the people are huge stars and it's just i don't know i just i know it's good but i it, i just have no interest in it even every time we have a soderbergh movie and it's like well do we make traffic finally the classic and we're both like no <laughs> i want to watch it <laughs> Uh, Kong Skull Island Spotlight. Spotlight. Yes. Empire Records, Revenge of the Nerds. Empire Records. Yes. I keep waiting for that kind of reckoning that's supposed to come at some point for for, for Revenge of the Nerds. Like somebody's supposed to watch that today and go, what the fuck? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, I, like that that we got bush scene was always creepy guys always it was always creepy yeah no matter how pathetic you're pretending to be <laughs> <laughs> final destination three the legacy of a white-tailed deer hunter never heard of that movie and it's got josh brolin in it that's weird hmm. it's not like everything he does is good <laughs> <laughs> I like Josh I, but Brolin, I, but I would have, but I would, I would think if Josh Brolin has a movie, I hear about it. <laughs> Generally, that's true. Uh, Final Destination Three or Hannibal? What do you got? I don't know where to go with this. I don't like the Final Destination movies, and as much as I know Hannibal's a drop off, I like it better. Fair enough. Let's go with that. I don't remember either movie. <laughs> <laughs> Take me out to the ball game. Step Brothers. Never seen Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Neither have I. Bend It Like Beckham, Step Brothers. I don't like Bend It Like Beckham. I'm going to pick it anyway because I hate Step Brothers. It's obnoxious. 
Yeah, but it's trying to be obnoxious. I'm gonna yeah, it, 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 it succeeds. <laughs> yeah, you won the coin flip. I mean, I don't. I like Talladega Nights better because it's like the obnoxious level is just enough <laughs> without going too much. But yeah, I I don't mind. I don't hate Step Brothers as much, but I don't. I, I, I definitely don't I love it like everybody else does. Never been kissed. Can't stand it. Never been kissed. What lies beneath? I'm fascinated by this foreign title for Never Been Kissed, College Attitude. I don't think that movie is set in college. <laughs> I don't think that movie has anything to do with college, for that matter. But <laughs> nevertheless, I have this weird fascination with what lies beneath because it has this this like batshit twist to it that I, that I just I just absolutely adore like it is so bold and so stupid at the same time <laughs> that it's made me remember that movie forever <laughs> and so i gotta pick that one because but i've never been kissed is kind of okay but it's not like what night lies beneath which is a movie that i will still pull up in my brain every every couple weeks and go that was f- so fucked up <laughs> yeah I- i'm with you and- i want to watch what Nights Beneath so bad right now We'll have to make that a classic someday, and it's absolutely. And those two, uh, you know, Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer, like perfect for what uh, what it is. Yeah, like they're earnest enough. I don't know. It's I want to watch it again. It's been a while. <gasps> Super bad. March of the Penguins. Super bad. Agreed. Gone with the wind. Happy Gilmore. <laughs> This might be the best one ever for me to give to you. (laughs) It's like the ultimate homework that's totally overrated. And then arguably Sandler's best. That celebrates the South and the greatness of the South in the Civil War. Yeah. I'm going to pick Happy Gilmore. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck you, God with the wind. I hate you so much. You know what I find? Uh, and I mean, he wasn't a big movie star, but Norm MacDonald obviously passed this week. And he, he was someone who said, you know, somewhat offensive things here and there. But he never really gotten. Tr- I, I don't know. It, it's I don't think he meant it when he said I just I, he was always trying. to. I don't know. There's just something weird about him. It's. I don't know a guy who'd really never like everybody knew him, but he yeah. never got that famous and therefore never really got in any trouble, which is kind of, I think, neat. I think everybody kind of caught on a little bit. Those who liked him, those who sought him out and sought out his work recognized that he was doing not only comedy, he was doing comedy as performance art. Like uh-huh. if you don't believe me, watch that Bob Saget roast. Oh, that's set. amazing. It is, it is anti-comedy gold. And the, and it wasn't even... like He was on Mark Maron's podcast because they replayed it because he passed. And he was talking about why he did it. And he was just like, I, I don't like roasts. So I grabbed my, my... When I went into comedy, my dad got me one of those 101 <laughs> jokes your grandpa will tell you. And he just started reading jokes out of there. <laughs> And he was, I wasn't trying not to be funny. I was just trying to do something different. <laughs> and and I, I've mentioned it before. One of my, my favorite comedians, Jen Kirkman, and she was talking about a direct. Norm MacDonald had been DMing her uh, and about because she's a little bit kind of a PC police on Twitter to a, almost to a fault. Uh, and somebody had tech, tweeted him and said, watch out for Jen Kirkman. And he started damning her right away, apologizing. He goes, I just, all I want to do is do comedy. And everybody's always asking me questions. And I don't know how to say that. I'm like, he used to use the R word a lot. <laughs> so instead yeah. of using it, he started saying down syndrome, but he still meant it as like, you know, he didn't mean it in the way it came off, right, but he was just right. trying to choose his word too carefully. Yeah. And it, it got a little worse. But he was. It was very sweet. She read the whole, all of them, and it was just very much like, all I care about is comedy. That's all I want to do. I don't have opinions. I'm not political. When people ask me questions, and I, you know, it's 
I don't know. I just very interesting. I, I his Conan stuff uh, <laughs> is like that moth joke is similar to the Saget roast. Where yeah, it's just, it really this is long drawn out bit. <laughs> oh, but, but then the way I my favorite part of that is, is the way Andy takes him down after he's done <laughs> and he just falls on the floor because he has so much respect for Andy just knocking him straight to the ground. So great. My favorite but thing. I'll oh, go ahead. Oh, good. Well, you. My favorite thing was the Courtney Thorne Smith episode. <laughs> that where, is what I was going to mention. Yeah. Where it's it just, she's the guest, and all he's doing is shitting on everything that she's doing. And he's not, like, he's shitting on Carrot Top, but it affects her. And I don't she, know. She's a. <laughs> for give her a lot of credit though she she knew exactly what she was getting into and she's she's laughing just as hard as anybody else even though she knows she's not supposed to and she made it even better but it was just and conan selling it i don't know between the whole all four of them uh, i mean andy didn't do a whole lot but just the dynamic of the whole thing was just so neat and conan o'brien on his podcast he talked about how uh, was Olemeyer? I don't remember what the guy's first name is for NBC. Don Olemeyer. Yeah. yeah. He he wanted Conan to ban him from Late Night and The Tonight Show. Uh, so they almost got to the point where that never happened because of the OJ joke so much. But even that on Letterman where he was just like, ah, Olemeyer, he's a good guy. <laughs> uh, he so was just great. such a... Have you ever seen him live? He came to no, Penguins once. I wish. And... Oh my god, he was so funny. And I went with Jason Tanamore. We did like and Jason was like, That was terrible. I'm like, that was amazing. He's like, he bombed. I'm like, I know that's what he was I mean, it he didn't really bomb, but he like he didn't care. He did his bit yeah. no matter what the audience whether they were in on it or not. And it yeah. When if you were in on it, it was even that much funnier when the everybody else wasn't. Like the Saget roast. Uh just such See, a unique comedian. I, I never thought after Dennis Miller left Saturday Night Live that I would like another another guy coming in and being, you know, doing Dennis Miller's job, essentially what it was at the time, not the Dennis Miller of today. Right. <laughs> it was right. utter garbage. But uh, but at the time, I thought that's that's how this is done. That's the only way this can be done. Nobody else is going to touch that. And then he comes in and just the first OJ joke, home run. Home run, home run. Just those endless OJ loops where he's just doing OJ jokes. They're so fucking great. But then his absolute delight, the delight he took when the joke didn't work. Oh, yeah. When the joke just totally bombs and doesn't get a laugh. He's so delighted by that. <laughs> I just always love that. And then have you ever seen his talk show on Netflix? No, <laughs> just it's just awkward, and and at least three of them, <laughs> he starts quoting the Frost Nixon interviews, <laughs> which is <laughs> completely uh, like not funny, <laughs> but because he's doing it, it is. I don't know. It, it, I he was him. on. Uh, I saw somebody doing a review of Rob Schneider's god-awful sitcom on netflix and they're showing scenes from and demonstrating why it's terrible but then norm shows up for one scene on that show and totally just takes the piss right out of rob schneider to his face and i know rob schneider probably approved the joke or whatever but it's completely norm where he's looking right at rob schneider and says oh look it's rob schneider i'm gonna go (laughs) just just something just the meanest possible insult and walks away Oh, the, when they did, I think it was Conan, it was Rob Schneider, Norm MacDonald, Adam Sandler, Nick Schwartzen, and David Spade, and he does it, he does it there, too. It's like him and Spade, <laughs> I don't know, it's, I mean, literally one of the best, but never got out of the small room, as he said. He always played comedy clubs. He was on SNL, and he never made it to, like, arenas. He goes, they'd come and yeah. see me. They'd take a picture with me because I was the guy from Update, and then they'd never come back. And in a way, it's heartbreaking, but at the same time, he never was under a microscope because of it. And that's, I don't know. I didn't mean to go off on the Norm MacDonald tangent, but Happy yeah. Gilmore, not that he's the, I don't even think he's in Happy Gilmore. But, I don't uh, remember. Uh, I, Dirty Work should have been a classic. Some, it should be a classic sometime just to just to get a chance to watch that again. 
Yeah. <laughs> Clever, what a great premise. That's a great <laughs> premise for a movie. <laughs> I just, I, I absolutely love him. And uh, it's, I, it's a shame. He was nine years with cancer. And uh, yeah. <sighs> want to go out on that? <laughs> what do you want to talk <laughs> sure. about? Blue velvet and wild things. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you got till it's gone, as Cinderella said. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm just imagining that joke falling flat and how Norm would enjoy that. So. <laughs> right. <laughs>